In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christ is in our midst. Well, when I began to prepare for this homily, I intended um, to keep it short. Because at the end of the liturgy, I will uh, talk a little bit about Project Mexico. And I thought, you don't need to hear me talking that long. And I, I, I hope I, I will be short. The trouble is that when you, when you try to uh, tug on the truth a little bit, you find out that it's attached to a lot of, a lot. So, allow me to read a short piece from the Gospel of St. Luke. In the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he had been baptized and had been tempted, and immediately he came into the area of uh, Galilee and was healing. And John the Baptist sent some of his disciples to him and said to them, when the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? At that time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So Jesus replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Christ announces his, in the beginning of his ministry his intention. He identifies himself as the Messiah. In the epistle today, I believe it said that Christ came to save sinners. To save them from what? To save them from death. To save them from calamity. To save them from illness. And to save them from blindness. Now today in the gospel. It's at the end of Jesus' ministry. A full three years has passed. And how many, perhaps countless blind men has he healed, lame he has made to walk? We don't know. But many, many had been healed. In today's gospel, it says, at that time, as he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside, so at the beginning of his ministry, he is healing blind people. And at the end, he is still working that same miracle. And there's a lesson there for us. Now this road that Jesus is on at the end of his ministry is his road to the cross. He left the area near the Jordan where John had been baptizing originally. It was now traveling the road to Jerusalem. He told his disciples that he is going up to Jerusalem and that he is going to be killed. And so they are on their way. And there's this huge crowd among him uh, surrounding Jesus. And it is filled with his disciples, which are the 12, and many, many others who have fallen in the sincerity of their hearts, and also tourists and the Pharisees and the Sadducees who are always trying to catch him in something. This is the crowd that is such a big hubbub. There's almost 
I won't say a circus, but there is a lot of energy and it's loud. And Bartimaeus, who is named in this story in the Gospel of Mark, Bartimaeus is the name of the blind man, He's, he asks, what's going on? And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Now, there are no chance meetings. And I would say that this one was even less of a chance meeting. Because certainly, Bartimaeus had heard of Christ. Certainly, Bartimaeus, the blind man, had heard of all the blind people that he had healed. And he hoped. Jesus' fame had spread throughout the region. This was not his first time in Jericho. So he thought that perhaps Jesus will pass this way. And when he heard, as he'd been waiting in this great hope that maybe Jesus will come this way, as he heard with his great expectation, his great hope, he had a phrase ready to go. He said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, the word son of David would, or the phrase son of David, would identify that he understands that he is the Messiah. Because it was known that the, that the son of David would be the Messiah. So he's got this phrase, he's ready to go. He's going to show Christ that he understands who he is. Now, those in the front leading the group possibly the Pharisees and some others who are, um, have seen and believed fewer of the miracles of what Jesus had done. They rebuked him, saying, Be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And it makes us pause. Who were the blind men here? Bartimaeus, who sees that Christ is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Holy One of God, God Himself, and those Pharisees who refused to believe. Those Pharisees were spiritually blind. Jesus stopped. Now, why did Jesus stop? He had a, he had a mission. Jesus stopped because He heard His cry above the fray, and He loved Him. He commanded him to be brought near him. In the Gospel of Mark, it is said that those people who went to get him said to him, take courage, be of good comfort, arise, he is calling you. And as he was brought near him, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Well, Bartimaeus was obviously blind, being led by the hand, and it is not that Jesus doesn't know what he wants, but it is to show us and the blind man that God never presumes on us. He desires that his children ask him for what they need and what they want. Bartimaeus says, Lord, let me receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. It is your faith that has made you well. Even after all of the power had been displayed in him through healing, he still gives at least some of the credit 
to the person who is asking for healing. It's your faith that made you well. It was you crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. In confident and hopeful expectation, this and my power have made you well. And immediately he received his sight and he followed him, glorifying God and all the people. And when they saw it, they gave praise to God. But not everyone. Perhaps not all those who had tried to shut him up in the beginning. Perhaps those who were trying to um, catch Jesus in some transgression. Or perhaps those who were already plotting for his murder in Jerusalem. There are many kinds of blindness. Two that we, will, we can speak of. There's a physical blindness that Bartimaeus had. But there's a spiritual blindness that was exemplified by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And this is an epidemic. We can say it's the first pandemic. This whole world is infected with a spiritual blindness. And none of us are immune. It is said that sin, as it entered the world, and it entered humanity, it darkened our noose. Now we know that the noose, this Greek word, means the center of our being. Sometimes it's called the eyes of our soul. So when we talk about our spiritual blindness, we're talking about our hearts. We're talking about the eyes of our heart that have been blinded. And we too, all of us to a degree, greater or lesser, are spiritually blind. Our spiritual eyes are clouded. We live in a culture that is blinding. Consumption, distractions, pleasures are constantly being thrown at us. When Jesus healed another man, a man born blind, after he had, he said to those who were there, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this, and they said to him, are we also blind? Considering that they were the illumined of the, of the culture, those who knew the word and studied the scriptures, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say you see, your guilt remains. We must be very careful as Orthodox Christians not to think that we are walking around as the illumined ones, that our spiritual eyes are not clouded, that we see things clearly, because truly, we are blind. Now, Wait a minute, weren't most of you or all of you baptized? And didn't you experience holy illumination at your baptism? When you came out of the font, you were described as the newly illumined. And the newly illumined come and receive um, the communion first as we celebrate their illumination. Yesterday we had a baptism of the whole family the Andersons. It is hard to describe a more joyful 
experience in the church. Um, I highly recommend going to baptisms as often as you can, especially a baptisms of adults, people who have come crying out for illumination. And it is true that our baptism, this is where our illumination began. But this unclouding, this healing of our blindness is a lifelong process. It is the greater part of our life where we spend time trying to heal our blindness, trying to learn more. Now, if we go into a wood shop or a metal shop, or a factory of some kind, some of you have, what's one of the first things you're required to do? You have to put on safety glasses. Because those places are very dangerous places for your eyes. And so we protect our eyes with safety glasses when we enter these dangerous places. My brothers and sisters, this is a very, very dangerous world for the eyes of our heart, for our spiritual sight, for our spiritual eyes. And yet in this world, in the midst of this culture of blindness, as to the degree that we participate in it, we are taking off any kind of protection we have, and we are throwing dirt into our eyes. Through our phones, through our media, through our participation in the most negative aspects of this culture. And even those that would seem to be neutral and benign, they still dirty us and they blind us. We've got something in our eyes. Our phones are like a flashlight. We can even use them as a flashlight. Have you ever had somebody shine a flashlight right in your eyes? Though you've got the light in your eyes, you can't see anything. And with our phones, with our media, and with our eyes, on the worldly culture around us, it's like we're shining a bright light in our eyes. How do we expect us to have the light of Christ to illumine us so that we may know what to do? But as it says in Mark, take courage, be of good comfort. Christ is calling you. If we can raise our eyes, both our physical eyes and our spiritual eyes, the eyes of our heart, if we can raise them to Christ, we can hear him ask us, what do you want me to do for you? When we come to Christ, he asks us, what do you want me to do for you? When we go to our prayer corner or wherever we pray and we address Christ, this is what he is asking. He's asking, what do you want me to do for you? And so often, our prayers are rushed, or we go through the motions. Indeed, we don't know what to pray. But our response should be that of the blind man. Lord, we want to see. We want to see our sins so that we can repent, so that we can turn, and we can follow him, just like Bartimaeus did. We want to see so we can be healed. We want to see so we can see our passions, the passions that rule us. We want to see what your will is for our lives so that we can try to align our own wills with what we see as your will. 
can truly follow Christ. And so, not knowing how to pray, we say the quintessential prayer of the Orthodox Christian, which you probably recognize in the words of Bartimaeus. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy upon me. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy upon me. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy upon my children. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy upon fill in the blank over and over and over again. This is our prayer, that the Lord would have mercy on us. Now recently, a person asked me, why do you say, Lord have mercy so much in church? It was an inquirer who was new to the, new to the faith. Why do you say, Lord have mercy so much? Now, this person probably had not entered into the Jesus prayer yet, so really has no idea how often we say, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. I think it might be the most repeated phrase in the Christian's vocabulary, hopefully. Now, Father Anthony Canaris, Conieris, who reposed in 2020, some of you guys might remember him, he founded Light and Life Publishing. So if you are an older convert like me, back in the beginning, Light and Life was about the only place you could find Orthodox books that were actually in English. And I bet all of the Orthodox books that were written in English could have fit in one moving box back then. Thank God we have so much more in these last 25, 30 years. But Anthony Canieris wrote in one of his books, and I'm not sure which one it is, he wrote that the word eleos, or mercy, is the same word as oil. And it would be specifically olive oil, and the context would be that it was oil that's used for soothing and healing a wound. The oil that would be used for anointing a wound so that it could be healed. Olive oil in the ancient days was a really good medicine. Now we rub other kinds of oil with antibiotics on our wounds. Now the, the Hebrew word that connotes the same thing is translated as steadfast love. So Father Anthony says the Greek words, Lord have mercy, really mean Lord, soothe me. Lord, comfort me. Lord, heal me. Lord, take away my pain. Lord, show me your steadfast love. So when we say, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, we are saying to our Savior, Lord, do everything that you want to do for me. My brothers and sisters, if we recognize that we are blind, we have a chance of being healed. But we have to participate in our healing. We have to know how we can do this. We have to recognize that in many ways, we are actually actively blinding ourselves with our participation in this world. But we have been called and set apart. We've been called to be made 
clean, who have been called to be healed. Take heart. Jesus is calling you, and he is asking you, what do you want him to do for you? So my brothers and sisters in Christ, stand before Christ and tell him from your heart what you want him to do for you. How you want your heart to be healed. How you want him to give you the safety spiritual glasses of discernment and of prayer so that you can protect yourself from the blinding poison that is all around us. But we must remember that the light of Christ shines in this world and the darkness has not overcome it. Spiritual blindness will not overcome the light of Christ. May we carry the light of Christ into this blind and hurting world. May we be ambassadors of clear sight and healing to the world. Amen.